Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you guys today. Uh, I don't know about you, but winter's here. Frost is on my grass and on my windshield. Um, man, before we jump into our text this morning, I just want to make a quick, uh, quick comment as to um, a little bit of update as to why we do what we're doing with our reentry. Uh, so with our reentry, we've asked folks to take temperature checks, practice social distancing, wear a mask throughout the entire service, worship, and the sermon. And we still are asking everybody uh, to do that. I'm not judging anybody. Uh, I don't really care where you stand on the mask issue. Uh, we just ask that as we continue, uh, as cases are going up and school are making decisions, uh, you need to know that we follow two entities, what the CDC asks of us, well, and Governor Sununu, but also what Dr. Delahanty says of us, uh, of our uh, Salem School District. So just a quick commercial, um, and thank you guys for being awesome. We do have people that come here with pre-existing conditions because they feel comfortable because of the uh, policies we have in place. Uh, but I'm not a prophet, uh, but I think in a few months we'll be able to um, drop that a little bit. So let's get to some fun stuff. We're at the end of our seven-week teaching series uh, called B, where we've been looking at uh, this map, seven uh, letters that went to seven different churches. Uh, John is our author. He's sitting on Patmos. He's in jail. Um, and that's where, at the time, Rome owned the island of Patmos, and that's where all the bad people went. And so uh, John is looking over the sea into these seven uh, cities, and we started in Ephesus, and now we're finishing with Laodicea. Now, I want to just do a review of all the seven weeks. Now, these are statements that Jesus is asking us uh, to be. So we talked about Jesus wanting the church to be love, right? To be faithful, to be repentant, to be holy, to be vibrant, put a smile on your face, right, under your mask, uh, to be trusting, and today to be, to be teachable, do you notice something about these statements? These are all statements about becoming. Isn't that annoying? Not one time Jesus said, if you want to be a healthy church, have a fog machine and the pastor should wear skinny jeans. Okay, I'm never going to wear skinny jeans. The good Lord gave me hips that won't be allowed to do it. And I would never do it even if he did. These are all statements about what? Being. To steal our language... You can't steal it if you own it. This is all journey inward language. Who we're becoming is more important than what we're doing. Not Notice this. This is free. Not once does Jesus say, this is how you grow a church. But seven times in a row, well, seven today after uh, my 27 minutes are up, seven times in a row, Jesus says, this is how you build people. And if you build, build people well, then you will build churches because there's kind of a rhythm that healthy things actually grow. So today, we're going to finish in Laodicea. In 60 AD, there was a massive earthquake like Philadelphia last week, but Laodicea had money. Uh, they did not rely on the Roman government to bail them out. Philadelphia never could get their economy in a place where uh, if there was a natural disaster, they could, um, they could bail themselves out. They had to rely on FEMA, stimulus packages to come resurrect their city, but not Laodicea. Laodicea was wealthy. You might want to live there after I describe it for you. Here are four things that you need to know about Laodicea, and you can impress your friends, I guess. Number one, it was rich. It was the banking center for all of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. 
So, you know, the first U.S. Bank of America, so to speak, was in Laodicea. Number two, it was very high-end fashionable, right? Or shishi, as my wife would say. It was known for its glossy black wool that was a prized possession. Now, this is going to matter when Jesus writes his letter throughout the entire Roman Empire. Uh, Here's the third thing that you need to know. It had a very specific medical facility that would actually, they claimed to be able to cure blindness. They, they took salve, S-A-L-V-E, from a, a stone and, and made it a powder, and they would throw it on your eyes, and then you would be able to see. So they've got money, they've got fashion, and they've got Medicine. So they've got First Bank of America, they've got a Mayo Clinic, and Macy's right in Manhattan, right? All rolled into this little city. Here's the fourth thing, and it's something that they don't have. You ready for this? You're like, I don't want to live there because I don't like this when this is true on my mission trips. They didn't have running water. They didn't have water. Hello? What, what project manager of a city forgot water, right? Apparently the guy or gal that put Laodicea together. So how in the world did such an affluent city actually get water to Laodicea? Well, I will tell you. You're welcome. Here's a map of two rivers going into Laodicea, Areopolis and Colossae, where you read the book Colossians. That's the city of Colossae. Now, both of these cities were about six to ten miles from Laodicea, probably more uh, on the six-mile side than the ten-mile side. Uh, Areopolis was probably about six miles from Laodicea. Here's what you would see in Areopolis. These are the hot springs where people would go and bathe and enjoy their time. Obviously, this is not from the first century, but it is what it is. That's why the Bible is true, because it rests itself on history. Take history away, I got nothing, and I'm out of a job. So the hot water would flow six miles into Laodicea, The problem is it would become lukewarm by the time it reached Laodicea, and if not filtered correctly, and if you were really thirsty, the locals would grab a cup, and it would be disgusting. They'd spit it out of their mouth. It was nasty. Now, Colossae was the same uh, thing, but for different reasons. Here in in Colossae, uh, you have the cold cold springs, and it would flow from Colossae into Laodicea. Same song and dance, different temperature. By the time it got lit to Laodicea, locals would spit it out. Now, this was all uh, brought to Laodicea through water ducts that they built in the first century. You could actually go there today and see those water ducts uh, today. The, 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 the message that Jesus has, and this is going to sound in left field, but hang with me, the B value for uh, the church is to be teachable, to be teachable. Now, you might think, right? Well, I think we think, I've heard this said. I don't know if that's true. Someone is blessed and fortunate when they have money, right? When they can f- put food on the table or they can afford nice gifts for their kids at Christmas. Jesus never once equates blessing with a lot of income, Actually, he said the opposite. He said, blessed are the what? The poor in spirit, right? For they're going to see heaven. Blessed also means fortunate. You're lucky when you're poor. What? Jesus was not a good economist, right? Apparently, it works for the kingdom of God. Laodicea is a city in which this church resides. Jesus, you ready for this? Has nothing 
good to say. Nothing good to say about this church. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 14. Bring your Bibles if you have them at home. If not, download the Bible app on your phone, and you can search that. Why? There's stuff on the screen, yes, but I want you to develop a relationship with this book. Not this book that you freak out if somebody drops it, but to read this book so that you can worship the God about this book, which is Jesus himself. That was a lot in a few seconds. Uh, let's go to uh, Revelation. I almost said Leviticus. Everyone would have freaked out and left. Uh, Revela- well, we'll get there eventually. Revelation 3.14, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these are the words of the... So Jesus is describing himself like he does every letter. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's uh, creation. I know your deeds. You're neither... Remember the, the water system? You're neither cold nor hot. I wish... You were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, what does Jesus do with what the locals did? I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Not a Hallmark card you want to buy for your wife, right? Teachable moment number one. Your life is spiritually bland because you cannot make up your mind. Your life is spiritually bland because you cannot make up your mind. I go to great lengths for this illustration. Let's see if I spill anything on myself. Raise your hand if you prefer hot tea over iced tea. And if you're watching online, let us know. Go ahead and raise your hand if you're iced tea over hot tea over iced tea. Now, raise your hand if you're correct and you prefer iced tea over hot tea. Yes, awesome. I knew I loved this church. There is just there is just something like refreshing uh, about sweet tea, because I used to live in Nashville for a few years. Mm. That's really refreshing, right? I think I'm a New Englander, because when I went to vote, we got there right when it opened, and I had an um, iced coffee from, Dunk, from Dunks, and I was outside for an hour, and I still drink an iced coffee, so I think that makes me a New Englander. But there are some people that are weird um, that prefer... Uh, you're not weird. You're just, you like what you like, and that's fine. Um, some people prefer hot tea. Now, when you drink hot tea, or when I drink hot tea, usually I'm sick, so it's never a good memory. Um, I think of cold, rainy days that are overcast, you know what I mean? And you've got your sweatpants on and your hoodie on. Maybe the family's, you know, watching a movie together, and you're like, yeah, right, they're on their iPads in different parts of the house. I get that. Um, and you just settle in, and you enjoy a time with your family, and you begin to drink your hot tea. It's actually good. When we drink things that are hot, one of the words that we use is um, that, that this drink is, is what? It's soothing. Um, what the iced tea is, is, is good, but for different reasons. It, it's, it's refreshing. But, but for, for, for folks that drink hot tea, the word I would use is that it's soothing. Now, what if you wanted to play a joke on your spouse, friend, and you just took the iced tea. <laughs> Let's see if this uh, bag falls out. <laughs> Let's see. You put the hot tea and the iced tea together, right? <laughs> it's disgusting. That was weak. That was totally like, it was like Hallmark Channel bad acting. But it's disgusting. Nobody puts hot tea and cold tea together because you instantly 
spit it out, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying um, being hot is a bad thing or being cold is a bad thing. Jesus is saying, just make up your stinking mind. <laughs> like, are you going to be a refreshing church or are you going to be a soothing church? Both are good for different reasons. I remember um, I've been playing, well, playing guitar is generous. I've been playing guitar since middle school. My dad's a drummer since he could, uh, since he knew how to get coordination. And he'd always say, you know, there's no such thing as better in music. It's just different until, you know, Nickelback came around. Um, and, and so the churches are different. It's not better. It's just different. And Jesus is saying, you have no influence because you can't make up your stinking mind. I want you to be refreshing or soothing. But I want you to pick one. It's interesting that this just came in my mind. James, Jesus' brother or half-brother, because Jesus is God, says what? A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Like, what about our mental health? Like, our anxiety, our depression, our fear, especially in this season, where it, like, immobilizes us, and we don't do anything. We 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 don't, it just paralyzes us. And that's what Jesus is saying to this church. Like, your faith is just, it's, it's in paralysis. Like, you're just like, you can't make up your mind. I want you to be something. Be hot or be cold. Be refreshing to people or be soothing to other people. You, you might even say, like, that, um, like the hot water might, have, might, might resemble, like, someone's passion, right? Um, intensity. It's gone. This church that, you know, like the other churches that we talked about, like they were alive at one point, but now their spirituality and their faith is actually dead. Your spiritual life is bland because you cannot make up your mind, Jesus is telling this church. And I don't know that um, he's coming down on them, but I think it's more like pastoral, like I, I Come on, guys, I need you to make up your mind. Be something for your community, right? Don't stop these like meetings and voting and just be something and just go do it, right? If it doesn't work, fail, but fail fast and move on to something else. Here's the second teachable moment. You're blinded by what you can see. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, a lot of stuff that Jesus teaches doesn't make sense. In Revelation 3, 17, Jesus continues the letter uh, when Uh, He says, you say I am rich. Well, they are. I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. They don't. But you do not realize that you are wretched. Excuse me. Pitiful. Uh, No, thank you. You are poor. No, we're rich. We're blind. No, we have a medical center and we're naked. No, we have a fashion industry. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me. We don't need you. Jesus, you're a homeless rabbi. No, No offense. We don't need anything from you. I counsel you to buy from me gold in the fire so that you can become rich. Well, I'm already economically rich. And white clothes, I already have clothes. So that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And oh my goodness. Then he goes for the jugular and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I don't need you, Jesus, for anything. I am rich. I'm in one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire. I don't need your money, right? In the, in the, uh, the Midwest, we'd say, oh, bless your heart, Jesus. But that meant like you just embarrassed me in front of my friends. <laughs> I, I don't need your wealth. Uh, I, uh, I, I, have, um, <laughs> I have a Stitch Fix account where clothes come to my house every month. 
Jesus, I'm not naked. I have a lot of clothes. Actually, the wife is actually wanting me to get rid of some clothes because I have too many clothes. I don't need your clothes. I don't need your white clothing. I'm not built for white clothing. I tend to wear darker clothing, Jesus, to hide some of the stuff that I'm not proud about. I don't really want to wear your white clothing, Jesus. What do you mean I'm blind? (laughs) What do you mean? My family just got, in, I just got a new job and I have incredible medical insurance. If, if something happens with my eyes, I, I can go and have that taken care of. Isn't it hard to follow Jesus, church, in this country where we're so, quote unquote, blessed? Things like, and I know that, every, I know that not everybody has these things, but health insurance, uh, livable income, right? We could always use more, which is a series we'll talk about next week. Um, a clothing... Yeah, like I think, and I could be wrong, it doesn't matter, this is my opinion. I, I, th- I think the church in Laodicea is a lot like the church in America, right? Like, wh- why do you need to follow Jesus? Really, I mean, honestly. Think about it. Y- usually the quick answer is, so I, so I don't have to go to hell. Like, that's not a, that's not a relationship, that's a transaction. Honestly, why do you need Jesus in America? You have everything. The word salve in the Greek means wounded pride. Wounded pride. It's humbling to be humbled, isn't it, church? Yeah. <laughs> and if there was a year that would humble us, it would be this one. Oddly enough, where we should have clear and perfect what? Vision. And we're blinded. We're blinded by what we can see because what we think we value might be what we think Jesus values or might be more fulfilling and the religion thing is kind of a kind of a Sunday thing and you know I, I might give a little bit I might get crazy and serve every once in a while but that that's about it the whole heart transformation thing whatever let's just save it for the pastors and the Christian authors I, I don't I don't need that there's a verse in Proverbs chapter 30 verse 7 through 9 that reads this Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Why would he ask this in this prayer? Otherwise, listen to this, I might have too much and disown you and say, well, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal So to dishonor the name of my God, remember Peter, he was out by a campfire, Uh, the equivalent of a 13-year-old girl comes up to him and says, aren't you? And he cusses her out. Now, the NIV doesn't show that, but it's in the Greek. It's very harsh language. I never knew the guy. Fascinating, right? That there's this prayer in Proverbs, oh God, do not allow stuff to blind me from what you want me to see, because if I allow stuff to blind me, I will disown you. What? What? Like there's a level of income, which is to say there's a level of trust where we trust our 401k and our retirements and our checks that really trump us trusting Jesus? Yeah, it happens all the time, right? There's a joke among pastors that, um, you know, it's kind of an old school dad joke, but uh, they would say that the pocketbook is the last thing to get saved when people come out of the baptistry right? It's like so quote-unquote personal. No, it's not. It's part of your heart. Jesus is like, I want it. I want it. 
Think about that, guys. Like, this is really critical, important stuff here. That this church allowed their wealth, their clothing industry, their medicine, their quality of life would make them look at a cross and go, good to sing about in worship songs, but I don't, I don't know if I want that as a way of life. Like, I definitely don't want to be the disciples and be crucified upside down. Right side up is worse enough. I, upside down, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I want to admire people like uh, Deborah and Ruth and Paul and Moses and Phoebe and Lydia, like from a distance, you know? I don't, I don't really want to do that. Mm. The third teachable moment that Jesus has is this. Well, Christians need to be saved. What? what kind of heresy is that? <laughs> In Revelation 2, 19 through 22, Jesus closes out by saying, Those whom I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they will with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me, which is a statement of authority, on the throne, which is Jesus sits on the right side of the Father. You're next to him in descending order, so you're in authority and power. That's what he's talking about. Just as I was victorious, there's that, uh, for, uh, there's that word Nike, uh, the Nike God of Rome, uh, victory, sat down with my Father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's a famous painting that you know about. It's from Warner Solomon. It's, ca- it's called Christ Knocking at the Door. Um, I, I grew up in the church. Uh, I did um, what's called supply preaching in college. Basically, what supply preaching is, is you go to these um, uh, really small churches that can't afford a preacher, and they haven't had one in a while. It's a great, it's, you know, if you're studying to be in ministry, and you're 20, and you don't really have anything good to say yet, but you're trying to get, get your reps in, it's, it's great. I would see this photo almost at every church. And I remember uh, being younger, hearing uh, messages um, and with this photo saying like, this photo would pop up and the pastor would say something like, uh, Jesus is knocking at your door, repent of your sin, come to Jesus and he'll come into your life and you'll be saved. See, I, I grew up thinking like this photo was for non-Christians. No, no, Jesus is knocking on the door of Christians in Laodicea. The Christians kicked Jesus out of the house. This has nothing to do with non-Christians. Why would a non-Christian invite Jesus to his house? They don't even believe he exists. Or if they do believe he exists, Jesus is just a historical joke. Christians kicked Jesus out. They kicked him out. When you read the word salvation in the New Testament, it depends what tense you're reading it in. Because there's a truth that you will be saved, you are saved, you are being saved, and you have been saved. So do Christians need to be saved? It's like English. Yeah. (laughs) Every single day. Because if we're lukewarm, (laughs) Jesus went away, that's fine. If we're lukewarm, I think that's the visual image that we have of Jesus is knocking on our door. Asking us, can I, can I come in? 
Uh, about a week or two ago, there's a pretty uh, well-known pastor. I'm not going to say his name because it guts me up when this happens. <clears throat> there's a pretty well-known pastor uh, in, our, in our country that um, was let go uh, by a major uh, church organization. And if you follow this person, you already know, so it doesn't do you any good or me any good to name this person. Uh, but he put on his Instagram that he... Uh, he was being let go at his church, and this is what he wrote. I did not do an adequate job of protecting my own spirit. Ref- listen, church, you need to listen to this. Refilling my own soul and reaching out for the readily available help that is available. Listen, when you lead out, this is from a mega, mega church pastor. And part of the beauty of social media is that you get to see souls up front. When you lead out of an empty space or place, you make choices that have real and painful consequences. I was unfaithful in my marriage, the most important relationship in my life, and held accountable for that. The failure is on me and me alone. I take full responsibility for my actions. I now begin a journey of rebuilding trust, which is a little narcissistic because the wife decides if she gets to trust the husband or not. I'm not playing, guys. Not playing. I could care less how much you know about the Bible. In this church, there's probably three or four people that know a ton about the Bible. So there's always someone smarter than you. The problem with this church is that they didn't take the journey inward. And this pastor blew my mind. I mean, I appreciate his honesty. Um, I hope he had permission when he posted his entire family photo on Instagram and he made that post. I mean, this guy knew God's word. He got paid a lot of money to preach it because when more people come to your church, people think like the pastor naturally makes more money. Um, And in an instance, well... Over five months, he intentionally lied to the person he was having an affair with. But over five months, he threw it all away. All away. Is it fair? Is it right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, Last week, um, a couple months ago, Bob Miller, who works at Restoration House Ministries, Uh, who planted this church and a bunch of other Christian churches in the New England area, called me up and said, hey, do you want to be part of a covenant group? What is that? It sounds like a cult. Uh, He said, basically, it's a group, it's a small group of local New England pastors that will get together um, every six months for the next three years. I'm like, whoa, that's a a commitment. Uh, And then after that, they'll meet on Zoom uh, to have um, a one-hour Zoom call once a month until they meet again every six months. Uh, this past week, um, I went on that retreat, and it was one of the most helpful things that I ever said yes to. Um, I, uh, it's taken me a long time to get, um, I don't like the phrase self-confidence, but to get confident in my own skin being a lead pastor, because I'm just a guy that's trying to follow Jesus, and I try not to screw up that much. Although, you know, hang out with the staff, they've got stories. 
but, but I know two things about this position, and I don't mean them arrogantly. Um, I'm the most important person at this church because, hear me out, I'm not narcissistic, I don't think, because I'm the most vulnerable person at this church. If Satan flicks me off and I cheat on Crystal or I steal from the church or, you know, I let my guard down and get hammered on the weekend at a bar or a restaurant and somebody that I didn't go with is recording something with their friends and I'm in the background acting like an idiot and that gets posted online and through, you know, you know how wonderful social media is through tagging, it makes its way to my account. I'm done. I'm done. It's over. And uh, hopefully um, it would not kill this church, but I say all that to say this, that you are the most important person to your spouse, to your kids, not to your employer. Who gives a rip? Like jobs will come and go. Your kids need a healthy dad. Your kids need a healthy mom. Your kids need healthy grandparents. If you're in middle school and high school and you're watching this on YouTube on a Wednesday night, hello, your friends need a healthy you at school. Uh, Because if they don't go to church, there's probably nobody having conversations with them about Jesus unless you bring that up in not a weird way, but a comforting way way in which somebody would receive it. Yeah, Jesus never tells us how to grow a church. (laughs) You can make a lot of money writing books telling people how to grow churches. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But he always tells us, this is how you grow people. You start small, you go slow, and over time you'll finish strong. I love that... um, I love that this church loves God's word. I see a lot of similarities with the church in Ephesus. Um, But if we do not step into the journey inward, um, we're going to say we're Christians, but we're probably going to say we're burnt out or we don't have any peace. Here's something that might blow your mind. If you practice the journey inward in the way of Christ... You should do this, but you'll never need it. You'll never need a vacation. You'll never approach life like, thank God we're finally on the beach at Myrtle Beach. Life's been so, what? Stressful. But what does Jesus say, right? Follow me, my burden is what? Overwhelming? It's easy, and it's light, and, and my rhythms of life and living, well, they're manageable, Uh, I'm a type A driven person and I like goals, but something that I'm learning about myself is goals don't push the ball down the field. It's your system and your way of life. When you wake up in the morning, how do you actually approach life? How you approach life gets those goals and meets those needs and desires and objectives that you have. That's what gets those things done. (sighs) I could talk about this forever. (laughs) We're ending the series, and I hate it. I wish there was eight churches. Uh, We're ending the series today. And if I could close with one thought to kind of wrap this series up, I would say 
Stay close to Jesus. Let Jesus develop you. Let him fold, uh, mold you and morph you into his likeness. That's the trajectory of the New Testament writers, is that you, over time, metamorphosis is the word that the New Testament writers use, you, you, you transform into the likeness of Christ. Not that you are Christ, because that's narcissistic. Like, Jesus is God, right? Don't be like Christ. Be made in the image of Christ. Let, let, let Jesus mold you like hands on pottery. Listen, church, it's been a hard year. I'm not a prophet, but if the scientists are right, we've probably got another five, six months. Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is, are you going through COVID or are you growing through COVID? And what this season is growing in you and what is becoming of you in this season is more important to me than when this thing ends. Such an, this, like, such an American thing. When's this over? I'm done. Yeah, we're all done. The world's done with it. But the challenge is this. What is becoming of you during this season? And may, may this be an invitation that Jesus is knocking at your door. He's not giving up on you. He's not, he's not hit the road. Because Jesus does tell his disciples, if people are honorary, just shake the dust off and move to the next town. Jesus is not leaving you because he wants to grow you and develop you. Your prayer life is important. Your Bible reading is important. Com getting in a life group, <laughs> being in community is important. Giving financially is important. Serving is important. Why? It's all part of the formation. It's all part of our spiritual formation. And nobody, nobody in this room, nobody watching online is above getting flicked off by the enemy. There's nothing more <laughs> than... Satan would love to do is for you to lose your influence as a parent, as a student, as a child, as a grandparent, and as a grandchild. Stay close to Jesus, church. It's a really hard season. I know that. But who you're becoming, even in COVID-19, is more important than what you're doing. And it's way more important wondering when this is over. Stay close to Jesus. If you have your communion, we're going to take communion together at this time. And for the last time, we're going to take it together uh, in light of this series. And I want you to be reminded <laughs> uh, that Jesus is God made breakable for you um, during communion. And this is, this is not something that we just do because we have to do it or because Christ commands it, it's because we practice communion because it's forming something in us that we're not really sure what it is yet, but we'll see it over time. And so may you be soothing and refreshing in your relationships. May you not be the person that is blinded by what you can see. May you trust in Jesus. May you be clothed in his righteousness. And may you use his salvation to change your perspective. Let's eat and drink together, and I'll close this in prayer. Jesus, thanks so much for this beautiful section of scripture.
um, where you're not, <laughs> you're not telling us to be good, like a Sunday school lesson, but you're telling us to be in the way that you want to form us. Jesus, so often I think we forget that we're human beings. We're not human doings. And this year has taken a toll on a lot of us. Uh, and, and, and I pray for our church. I, I, pr- I pray for the, the, the big C global church. I mean, it has, wow, it has taken a sucker punch to the gut. People are dividing over issues that they deem important. I don't know if you deem them as important. Um, and there's just a movement in churches, at least in America, where you know, Jesus, the word that you give the evil one is devil, which means to split something like a bowling ball, splitting bowling ball pins. Oh God, may we not be so close and tied to our positions and our opinions. Jesus, may we be after your heart. May we be after your spirit forming in us and among us and through us. May we live the way of Jesus in a period of history where it just seems like it's so easy to walk away. And Jesus, I thank you that you're knocking on our door. You've not given up on us. And Jesus, there's, I know that there's, there's, like, there's an arrogance with theology. There's an arrogance with, like, I've been going to church, like, my whole life. Like, I get the 101 stuff, but, it, you know, Jesus, you ask us, why are our hearts stubborn? Not our heads, our hearts Help us stay close to you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.